When the children of Israel were about to cross in, cross the Jordan into the promised land, Moses spoke some very crucial words to them about some important things for them to know. And uh, last week, my attention was drawn to some of those words. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, and I know we're studying uh, Proverbs, but let's first get ready for Proverbs by looking at Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verses 12 and 13. Remember that Moses here is speaking to a new generation. He had led the children of Israel and out of bondage in Egypt, but in 40 years, that whole generation had died off. They were not allowed to enter the promised land because of their unbelief and their rebellion against God. And so he has a new generation, and they are about to enter into the promised land. Moses will not be able to go with them. But they are about to go, and he has some important words for them. Last week, I, I was drawn to these verses, and I, I have been meditating the, on them every day since. It's just been been stirring my heart. And uh, Moses tells them five things that the Lord requires of them. And uh, look at those in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, verses uh, 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. You notice in there that first of those things that he commands of them is that they would fear the Lord. And that is emphasized in the book of Proverbs. We've seen it uh, numerous times. And that fear of the Lord is a reverence for God that uh, produces in us a, a deep concern to give him glory and honor that he deserves along with a dread of anything that would offend him in our hearts and lives. And uh, so that's the fear of the Lord. And then the other four actions that the Lord requires of them, and by the way of us, uh, flow out of that fearing of the Lord. But then also doing those four help cultivate the fear of the Lord. So it's kind of it's interesting, it, it, uh, this, the fear of the Lord, uh, all of these come out of that, and yet uh, doing them cultivates more of the fear of the Lord. It's a tremendous cycle that God has, uh, has uh, provided here for us. So in studying Proverbs, and let's turn to Proverbs 15 now, in studying Proverbs, we learn more about how to do all five. The fear of the Lord is a very prominent theme, but in in growing in the fear of the Lord, we're also doing these other four things that he has commanded, and uh, we learn more about that in Proverbs. And to remind us of them, fear God, walk in his ways, love him, serve him with all our heart and our soul, and keep his commandments. So we have much to learn 
from Proverbs, and that we have been doing. After studying the first nine chapters of Proverbs, which are the introduction to the book, and those first nine chapters tell us why we need to study Proverbs, and after studying the first nine chapters, we are in the heart of the book, and, and we are calling this insights into glorifying God in every detail of life. Because as we've seen, it goes from one to another to another uh, of details, different different details and aspects of glorifying God in our life. But one verse will talk about money, next verse talks about family, next verse talks about work, that kind of thing. Uh, but all leading us to glorify God, to fear Him, obey Him, walk with Him. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Well, in honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read Proverbs 15, verses 20 through 24. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season how good it is. The path of life leads, leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. This is God's word. You may be seated. And as we've mentioned before, we have titles for these individual Proverbs, and they are adapted from a book called The Wisdom of Proverbs by Bob Beasley. The first of those we have tonight is, uh, number one, honor God by honoring your parents. And that's in verse 20. You'll notice the first line um, May not you might not remember that that exact same line was the first line in this whole collection of proverbs that began with chapter ten verse one, and it's repeated word by word here. So let's look at it in detail. A wise son is how it starts. By the way, that's also true of a wise daughter. It's not just the guys, but it's the girls as well, and. Uh, the wise son is contrasted with, in verse 2, it talks about the foolish man. So as so often hap happens in Proverbs, the contrast between the wise one and, and the foolish one. Now, this son, and it would also be true of a daughter, of course, also. This son, how did the son become wise? Well, that's what the first nine chapters of Proverbs dealt with. Uh, first of all, in fearing the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so in the first nine chapters, it talks about learning of the fear of the Lord. How, who do you learn that from? Well, a child starts out learning that from their parents. And so there was a lot in the first nine chapters about heeding the parents' godly teaching. And so how did this son become wise? By fearing the Lord and heeding his parents' godly teaching. He says, a wise son makes a glad father. Now that's a general principle, as, as most of the Proverbs are general. By that I mean, unfortunately, 
There are some fathers who can never be pleased. Uh, and so this is not an absolute statement because unfortunately there are some fathers who just can never be pleased. And that is not a godly attitude to have, but that's a whole different subject. But the point is, how our children are doing affects a parent's joy. I can say that as, as a parent of adult children and the joy of, to a parent when their, their children are young and, and are loving and growing in the Lord, but also as the children go into adults and so on. There's nothing that makes a parent any any gladder, if that's a good word, uh, than than anything else. So how our children are doing affects a parent's joy. Uh, or how our children are doing can be a grief uh, to parents as well. So his point is very simple. This wise son makes a glad father. But then the next line, but a foolish man despises his mother. Now think about this foolish man, and be also true foolish woman of two, of course. Uh, this foolish man started out as a sweet baby. All babies start out sweet, don't they? Oh, you just cuddle them and love them and so on. And even though they cry and make messes, they are so sweet and, and, and so on. But this sweet baby has grown into a foolish man. Why? He was born with a sinful nature. Every baby is born with that sinful nature. And in this case, this foolish man, born with a sinful nature, has followed those inclinations. We're going to see later on a proverb that talks about there are two paths in which we can go. And one is the path of righteousness, one is the path of unrighteousness. One is the path then that, that leads to being the wise, one that leads to being the foolish. This, this foolish man, born with his sinful nature, has followed the sinful inclinations instead of following the training and godliness that is given by a godly parent. He has chosen the path in life that leads to destruction. Uh, he never thought of it that way as he was making those choices, but that's what he uh, has done. And uh, he has been warned about that in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. But here, this foolish man, it says, despises his mother. Not only is, is he a pain to his parents, not causing them joy, but causing them parents. But he couldn't care less what effects his words have on parents. And you'll see children like that, both young and old. Uh, he is exhibit A of a fool. Now, Proverbs, in some of the other Proverbs, gives some insight into the specific actions of this son. For instance, he might not respect his point parents even to the point of cursing them. And I put in your notes two references in Proverbs on that, Proverbs 20:20 20, 20, and Proverbs 30:11. 30, 
Now, this cursing them uh, certainly could be the use of curse words, angry heart, those words coming out, but it it can take other forms as well. And uh, I am ashamed to tell you that there was a point in my life where you could say this of me. And I had, I was grown, and I was away from home, but a situation arose in which I wanted to punish my mother. It, 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 it was an awful time. I was, oh, I would say I was probably 22, 23. I was away from home. I had started pastoring a church, wasn't married yet. And uh, I was mad at my mother, so much so that I wanted to punish her. Well, the whole issue was uh, she had divorced my dad. And uh, I thought that was a terrible, terrible thing to do. Ungodly, no, no, no reason. I won't go into all that. But so I was so, so upset in my heart at what she had done that I wanted to punish her. Literally. Now, how do you punish your mother? As a as an adult child, I thought, well, I'm just not going to go see her anymore. I'm not going to call her on the phone anymore. And uh, every night as I'd go to bed, you know, that bitterness would be in my heart. But I praise God that the Spirit of God wouldn't let me continue that way. And I got things settled with the Lord on that, and I got things settled with my mother, and we had a good relation the rest of her life. But it was a terrible thing. And it was absolutely wrong on my part. And I think it was a very violation of this very thing, that in, in a real sense, I, I despised my mother even as these others Proverbs talk about, even to the point of cursing them. I never said curse words, but it really was the same thing. So that's one one. So I would just urge each one here with your parents, whether you're young and under their authority at home or away from your parents, never let yourself get in this position. But when anything like that begins to rear its ugly head, discuss that with the Lord. Confess that and then go to, to that person. Secondly, um, he might mock his parents to his friends or to their face. And Proverbs 30 verse 17 talks about that. And frequently you will hear children do that to their friends and so on. Mock their parents. And I have heard children uh, do that to their parents. Uh, typically when you hear a child do that, you're just hearing them in the store or something uh, uh, and so on. And you just, just cringe at that. Or uh, Proverbs 28.24 talks about there are children who might rob their parents. And you hear of that 
Proverbs 20, verse 20, and chapter 30, verse 17. Uh, they might assault and drive away their parents. You even hear of that. Now, it's interesting that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, remember, speaks of the sinful attitudes of that are just as bad as the actions. You might say, well, oh, I have never assaulted or driven away my parents, and yet if you have the attitude, the hard attitude of that, Jesus says, you've done it in your heart. That is something that's serious that you need to take care of. Now, this fool, according to other verses in Proverbs, will be judged by God in the severest way. Turn, turn to, we mentioned this verse a couple of times, but now let's look at it. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 20. If one curses his mother, his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. His lamp being put out speaks of uh, his life is going to be ended. God's going to bring judgment on him. Uh, chapter 30, verse 17. Chapter 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Oh, it's a terrible picture. Picture is of, of a raven or a vulture and they're looking for something to eat, and they see an animal lying there, can't quite tell whether it's dead or alive, and they will pick at the eye. And obviously, if that animal is alive, that animal will move and resist. But they see that, and they pick at the eye, and then uh, go from there. Uh, so when he says, we'll be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten, by the vultures. Terrible picture of judgment, God says, on this foolish person who does not honor their parents. Now, note that this verse doesn't teach that a wise son pleases only his father, while a fool despises only his mother. The proverb is using poetic language to get a point across. And a literal reading would be a wise son pleases his parents, but a fool despises them. So I ask, particularly the children here tonight and watching, are you making your parents glad? Think about that. That's what pleases the Lord. If you want to know what pleases the Lord, here's a very important part that you would make your parents glad? It's a sobering question. Well, let's go to the second proverb, and that's in verse 21. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense. Now, folly is the opposite of wisdom that comes from God. Now, when it says he lacks sense, that's, that's written originally in Hebrew. And literally, the sense there, the word sense there, is literally in Hebrew the word heart. And the heart we've seen is the seed of our thinking, of our feelings, of our choosing, our will. And so this is saying the fool, and he's using that 
as a synonym for the non-believer, the fool or non-believer, is so lacking in godly thinking and in godly emotions and in godly choices that it's almost as if you've cut his heart out or you've given him a heart transfer, trans, uh, uh, transplant, thank you, uh, to this, uh, to, to a heart that does this. Um, he's lost all ability to think correctly. That's the point of this about the fool. He's lost all ability to think correctly. Plus, his emotions are all messed up. And on top of that, he chooses the path in life that leads to destruction instead of the path that leads to joy and eternal blessings. His joy is in folly instead of in God and godliness, which brings lasting joy. Turn over to Psalm 16. Wonderful verse on, on joy. Psalm 16. Psalm 16. And, uh, great verse here in verse 11. 1611. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's for the wise person, the believer. But the foolish one has turned his back on all of this. And he's, um, he, instead of seeking his, his joy, not in the things that please God, but in partying and the abuse of, of drugs and sex and alcohol and all kinds of things, you name it, none of which really give joy. And uh, he has left all of that. That is a mark of a fool. And then it, it goes on. It joy is, uh, or folly is a joy to him in that sense. But a man of understanding, that is a term that's frequently used in Proverbs as a synonym for wisdom. A man of understanding, or in other words, a wise person. Uh, what a contrast here. This man of understanding walks straight ahead. In contrast to the fool who finds joy in foolishness, this man walks straight ahead. Uh, he finds joy in going God's way. And God's way, walking in God's way, is always pictured as walking in a straight path because it's, it's the idea as he's make, going in this straight path that he doesn't get sidetracked by anything that's taking him to ungodliness. But he's staying on the track of going towards godliness. He's going straight ahead. So uh, the person with a, a understanding and wisdom weighs every choice that he's called upon to make by considering which, uh, which way would God want me to do? Which way pleases him? Which way brings glory to him? Think about Joseph. When Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, you know, Joseph said that in his heart, how can I sin against the Lord? There were other logical reasons not to do it, but at the heart of it was, how can I do this when it would displease God? That's the mark of a wise person, a person of understanding. That's what we want to have.
in our walk with the Lord. Then we have our third proverb, seek the wisdom of godly counsel. And that's in verse 22. Four times in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs focuses on the importance of getting advice from other people before pursuing a plan. It does that in chapter 11, verse 14. It does it here in chapter 15, 22. It does it in chapter 20, verse 18, and chapter 24, verse 6. So let's look at this one in verse 22. Without counsel, plans fail. When it says, without counsel, plans fail, it literally is the idea they, they shatter. In other words, they come apart in the end. And the result will be that uh, you will have a huge disappointment and maybe even a disaster is where this will come. So he, he says, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. We need many counselors. Now, the implication here, of course, is godly counselors. Uh, Psalm 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, but that his delight is in the law of the Lord. So we're talking about godly counsel, godly advice from godly people. Why do we need that so much? Well, think about it. We need many counselors to offset our weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. To offset our ignorance, There, all of us, there are things... Of, of God's plan that we are ignorant of, and our limitations. We all have limitations. So God has put us in the body, and in the body are other people, wise people, who can help us because of those limitations and weaknesses uh, that we have. So he says that with many advisors, they, the they there is not referring to people, but it's referring to our plans that he has been talking about, they succeed. So you could say that as we receive counsel from people, blind spots are exposed. You know what a blind spot is? Physically, a blind spot is when you're driving and you're looking at the mirror and so on. There's a blind spot where you don't see right to the side of you what might be there. That's a blind spot. It's there, but you don't see it. And because of our sinfulness, we all have blind spots in our lives, in our character, in our, in our, the way we do things that we just don't recognize. But God's put us in the body and that other members of the body can help us see things that we can't see. So that helps us to succeed. And so blind spots are exposed. Miscalculations are uncovered. We make miscalculations about, well, if I do this, the results will be this and so on. Maybe that is completely wrong miscalculation. But someone else can, uh, can help us with that. And then unforeseen obstacles are brought to light. You're looking ahead, you're, you're looking at this decision, you're looking down the line, and everything looks like, oh, it's just perfect, and you don't realize there is an obstacle there that maybe we should take account. And that's where a godly person with wisdom and counsel comes in. 
when I was looking at this, I was, I was thinking of my life, and and uh, I thought of one of those times where, praise God, I I did ask for counsel, and uh, it's very pertinent right here with us living in New Jersey when we were getting ready to move here, and the opportunity arose. Steve called me on the phone one day and said, uh, the house next door to us has come up for sale. Would you uh, would you buy it? And if you bought it, buy it, we promise you'll take care of your snow and we'll mow your lawn. And they have kept that part of the bargain. Well, I had heard through the years of some people who lived next door to family and it did not turn out too well. So I thought, I need some counsel. So the first person I turned to was Esther's dad, because they live in Philadelphia, not too far away. They spend a lot of time with our family here, and they know them, and they know me, because we've known each other for a while, and they know Terry, and so I asked Ed's, Ed's uh, counsel on that, and he gave me the counsel. By the way, it was, uh, uh, it was positive. And then we had a, a, a family, a couple in our church who in California, who after they retired, they moved to Arizona right next door to their daughter, son-in-law, and grandkids, just like we were talking about them. So I called Bob and asked, and he gave them counsel, and I believe in both cases. These are godly men who gave counsel, and I then went ahead. But that's important to do because there may have been some reason why that wouldn't have been good. But as it turns out, there was no, you know, it just worked out great, praise God. But that's just an example of, of the we need to not just rush into things, but to seek godly counsel. Um, perhaps all of us have at one time or another rushed into a hasty decision on making an investment or uh starting a job or buying a car or a house or getting engaged to a particular person without seeking counsel. And uh, uh, some of us can point to some times where well, it would have done, been a lot better had I got some counsel. But here's an important part. Don't, for don't forget to look to the most important counsel, and that is God's counsel, and seek it in every decision. Turn to Psalm 119, great, 119th Psalm, and verse 24, Psalm 119, verse 24, speaking of God's word in verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my what? They are my counselors. So God's given us members of the body, godly people, but above that is God's counsel through his word. And then turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, very familiar passage, but remember, maybe you haven't thought of it in, in this particular context. Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 24 
uh, through 27. 724, everyone then who hears these words of mine, that's the words of Christ, this is God's word, and does them will be like wise men who built his house on the rock. So one of the traits of a wise man, wise woman, is going to God's word and listening and obeying their word. And so he said, built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, does not seek the counsel of God's word and obey, will be like a foolish man. The, the very thing we're learning in Proverbs, don't be like the foolish, be like the wise. This person be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Same thing with being wise or foolish. The wise man seeks the counsel of the Lord. That's something we dare not forget. Well, then on top of that, don't forget to look for God's counsel from in the sense of the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised us, turn to John 14, 16. John 14, 16. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Interesting word helper there. Uh, the Greek word that he used there has, has a, a kind of a wide, um, sh wide shades of meaning. Uh, it's translated helper here. Sometimes it's translated comforter and so on. But there's, there's a whole, variety of shades of meaning. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, so the idea is it, this cannot be exhausted in one word. Helper, yes, but there's more to it than that. Uh, literally, that word is a Greek word that means one called alongside to help. And the idea is the idea of a helper, the idea of a comforter, the idea of a counselor, the idea of an encourager, and the idea of an advocate, someone who pleads your case before the judge or court. Wow, that's a, that's a wide range of idea. But among them is that idea of the comforter. And all of a sudden, as I said that, I thought of a song, boy, I haven't heard it in years and years and years, but a song we sang in church many, many years ago. The title of the song was The Comforter Has Come. Oh, spread the tidings round, da -da -da -da, the comforter has come. Referring to the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter and the counselor and the encourager. And so we have God's word, we have the Holy Spirit. Then we have the fourth of these Proverbs. Speak timely words. Oh, look at verse back in chapter 15 of Proverbs in verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. Now, when he says an apt answer, 
is not just strictly referring to an answer to a question, but it's the idea of a response, an apt response to something that is said. And it said it may might be a count uh, uh, a question or it might be a statement of fact or whatever. But to give an apt answer or response, he's talking about this apt answer is beneficial to the hearer, the one who is hearing it, as well as to the one that is speaking. So this apt response that he's talking about, it can be words of love. It can be words of encouragement. It can be words of rebuke. If they are done scripturally and in the right attitude, it can be words of peacemaking. Uh, so all the, the variety of the types of responses, but they are to be apt. Now, I've put on your outline four criteria towards an apt response. First one is, it is an accurate reply to the question asked or response to the situation faced. It hits the nail on the head. That's probably the first thing we think of when we think of an apt response. It's accurate. So we need to be praying that God will be building his truth in our hearts and minds so that we can come with accurate responses. Secondly, it is spoken at the appropriate moment. That's something we need to consider. There are some times where this answer we have in our mind, maybe now is not the appropriate time. Uh, we need to seek the Lord's wisdom on that. Or it reflects, or then also it reflects God's wisdom. And then the last one, it is spoken with godly attitude. You know, you could you could come with this apt answer, but have the attitude, well, listen to me, I'm superior. I'm I know all the answers. It is not an apt answer. It also has to be in the godly attitude. Turn over to the book of Ephesians. A great uh, instruction on this in Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-nine. Oh how we need this in our lives. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. There are things that we say that are corrupting. They tear down. They do damage. They don't build up. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. That is, only things that are helpful, only things that are encouraging, only things that are uplifting, only things that are corrective. These are what's to be coming out of our mouths. And then he says, um, but such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that's part of being the apt answer, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, as soon as we say grace, we are used to the very familiar and very common definition of grace, God's unmerited favor, which certainly is, is an important part of God's grace. But in the New Testament, there's another side of what grace means as well, and that is the entitlement uh, and the enablement and the desire and the power to do God's will. 
the enablement and power to do God's will. And that's probably the emphasis here in Ephesians 4, uh, 29, that it may give grace. It may just be used of the Lord to empower us and enable us to do what God wants us to do. May our words be words that do that. Uh, so it's great, great words in Ephesians 4.29. Well, turning back to Matthew, or excuse me, to Proverbs 16, back in verse 23, uh, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. The, the, the person who hears what is said and, and so on, and uh, a word in season, how good it is. So the point is, a right answer given at the wrong time might be well-intentioned and technically correct, but not meaningful, um, while the answer at the right time is priceless. Let me give an example from the book of Acts. You remember when Paul was... Uh, arrested and thrown in the Philippian jail. Now later, he is going to tell the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But think of it, what would it, how would it have been if while the Philippian jailer was putting the handcuffs on and putting him in the cell, if he said, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Now the Lord could use that. But that's not when he said it. Uh, God did something that night. In the middle of the night with the earthquake. And uh, God miraculously sent that earthquake and opened the cell. Paul and Silas could run out. And that jailer knew that in the Roman system, if the, if the uh, prisoners got loose, the jailer is going to be executed. And so rather than he be executed, he gets his sword and he's going to take his own life. And he asks, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe. On the Boy, that was an apt response at an appropriate time. So that's something else we need to be praying about for the Lord leading us in the appropriate time. Uh, to say the things that we say. You know, Job's friends did not do this. You read the book of Job's, Job. And, of course, we know, reading as the Holy Spirit has inspired the beginning of the book, we understand what's going on here. Uh, this is not a punishment of Job's sin. But uh, his friends, you know, they were trying to help him, trying to counsel but they did not give an apt answer. The apt answer is an answer that comes from God's wisdom and God's word, and theirs didn't. So, uh, how good, you know, because he, um, he ends the, um, the, the proverb, how good it is. Over in Proverbs 25, verse 11, Proverbs says, a word fitly spoken, get this, it's like apples of gold. No, he's not talking about a brand, a species of apple called golden delicious. He's talking about fake apples, decorative apples that have been made out of gold. 
And uh, the proverb says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Picture that. Just shining gold in a polished silver utensil. It's a beautiful picture. And he says, that's the picture of an apt, fitly spoken word, a word in season. John Kitchen, who has written a good uh, uh, commentary on Proverbs I have quoted before, he writes here, a wrong answer given when a correct answer is sought is misleading. A right answer given at the wrong time may be well-intentioned and technically correct, but damaging. The right answer at the right time is priceless. That's a good summary of what this is saying. Well, I think we'll end it there rather than rush through the next proverb, but let's apply this. Uh, If you're a Christian, are you growing in these areas of wisdom? God doesn't want us just to read them and say, oh, that's nice. But he wants us to examine our hearts. Are we growing? in these areas of wisdom. So on that first proverb, if you are a child or a young adult under the authority of your parents, do you make your parents glad? That's an important question. If you detect that you are not honoring your parents, confess it to God, because that's disobedience to God, and confess it to your parents, and confess your selfish attitude It's the heart attitude behind it that is so serious. And and then ask God how to honor them and show love to them and be a blessing to them. Come before God in prayer. God, show me how I can honor and be a blessing to them. Well, the second proverb tonight, are you living God's way? Ask yourself when faced with a choice to make, which way will enable me to live in the way that God wants me to live, rather than according to living according to fleshly desires? It's the fool who is living according to fleshly desires. It's the wise person who is living according to what God wants. The third proverb tonight, do you tend to rush into decisions of about a job to take, or investments to make, or buying a car, or getting engaged, uh, without seeking and seeking counsel. Learn to seek God's counsel. Go to God's word and see what God's counsel is. And seek out godly people to hear what they would counsel. And then that fourth one, consider memorizing. Ephesians 4.29. Great verse for us concerning our words. Consider memorizing Ephesians 4.29. And then stop and pray about applying Ephesians 4.29 when you find yourself about to give a harsh answer or response. And cry out to God for the words to say that will be words of love and encouragement and peacemaking and used for building up instead of corrupting. These are crucial areas in our lives. 
Now, if you're, you are not a Christian, uh, this is, this is not for you to, um, to uh, concentrate on. This is a symptom of something bigger. You need salvation. You need a change in the heart that comes with being born again, made a new creation. The Bible says to come in repentance of sin and trust Christ as your only means of salvation and begin walking in this new life following him. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the whole book of Proverbs, but especially for these Proverbs tonight. And we pray, Father, that you would apply them to our hearts and lives and that we would be growing in each one of these areas, in the area of our plans, the area of our words, in the area of our relationship with our parents, and all these things, that we would be fearing you, loving you with all our heart and soul and mind, and obeying your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.